Hey, church family, great to have you with us today. I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at a couple of the parables of Jesus that relate to God's mission in the world. And that's been our focus here for the last few weeks uh, in the midst of our year-long series called God Is. We've been asking the question, who is God? And really going to the scriptures to understand the nature and the character and the work of God in the world. How he, how he functions, the way he thinks about creation, the way he engages with us, his children. Um, and my prayer is that in the midst of this, that you've made some discoveries, some, some fresh discoveries about the heart of God. And that you would uh, continue to, to see just the, the depths of his love and his care for us. We've been focusing on what it means to go, and the idea that God is a missionary God, that Jesus came to earth, that he was sent by the Father to earth on a mission, the missio Dei, the mission of God. Last week, we talked about the fact that God is light, and that Jesus came into the world as the light and, and to bring life, and he came to testify to the truth. And John writes in, in, John, in John chapter 1 there that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And there's a point of caution there for us, even as we go into this passage today in Luke 15. The point of caution is this, is that it's possible to miss Jesus even when you're looking right at him. That it's possible to miss God, to miss his heart, to miss what he's up to, to miss his work in the world, even when we're looking right at him see the the jewish people that john is referring to those that were god's own many of them missed him they were waiting for the messiah they had assumptions about what the messiah would do and who he would be and because of their wrong assumptions they missed jesus when he showed up in flesh when he became incarnate and and made his dwelling amongst them they missed him the point of caution for us is this, is that we have to check our own assumptions against the word of God. That you and I have assumptions about who God is, about his word, about the work of God in the world. And we have to check those assumptions against the word of God. And that's why asking this question, who is God, is so important. That we don't ask it out of place of pride, but we ask it out of a place of humility that says, God, would you search my heart? So the message today, the title of the message today is Lost and Found, Lost and Found. And we're going to look at Luke 15, which is this chapter where Jesus shares his own words about three different things that were lost and then were found. And as I read through these passages, I'd like to share and and unpack some thoughts that I have about these passages, but don't limit what I'm what you hear today just to my words would you listen to what the spirit of God would say to you today so let's open with a word of prayer and invite God to open our hearts to the word Jesus we don't want to miss you we don't want to miss you Lord we want to see you we want to see every aspect every facet of who you are and Jesus as we read your words today Would you speak directly to us by your spirit? Would you cause the word to come alive, to teach us, to challenge us, to correct us, to build us up, to steer us in the right direction in Jesus' name? Amen. So Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read a few passages, a few verses at a time. The words will be on the screen. uh, And I invite you again to turn in your Bibles 
to, uh, to that same passage if you have them. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Can you imagine that sentence in their muttering? They would have said it with great disdain. This man, this guy, what is he, who does he think he is? He's welcoming sinners, and he eats with them. He's sitting down at the table to, to share a meal. See, the tax collectors and the sinners gathered to Jesus. They were getting close to where he was, that he was in the midst of their community, and that what he was saying and the way he lived his life was attractive to the people that were broken. See, whenever scripture talks about tax collectors and sinners, he's talking about the, the very most broken people in the society, in the culture. The tax collectors were an example of people who, who were thieves. They, were, they extorted the people and they, and, and they took advantage of the people and they were not liked by really anybody. And the sinners, people who everyone knew what that person's sin was, and there was all kinds of gossip that surrounded, uh, surrounded them. Those very people that would have walked around with shame hanging over their heads came to hear what Jesus, and they pressed in close. They gathered around to hear what he had to say. And at the same time, you can picture just kind of off to the distance on the periphery, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law kind of standing erect, looking down their, their noses at, the, at, the, at Jesus and these sinners. And it says that they muttered, he welcomes sinners. and He eats with them. Notice this, the tax collectors and the sinners gathered. The Pharisees and the teachers muttered. See, to eat with people was to ascribe value to them. You didn't eat with people that you didn't value. You didn't break bread with people, and, and eating in that culture was a big deal. It was a big deal. And throughout Scripture, throughout the, uh, throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus took time to be with people, he, that he went into to their homes. We, re, we read about Zacchaeus, who also a tax collector. He goes into his home. He breaks bread with him. And even in that case, there's those, that, that, those who are righteous and self-righteous who judge him and say, who does he think he is? We can understand the heart of God through this passage. Luke 15, by the way, is understood to really be the key passage, the cornerstone passage when it comes to recognizing God's heart, his missional heart for the world. It is visualized here in Luke 15. And what's so amazing about it is that these are Jesus's words, that these are things that Jesus actually said this is his response to those teachers and to those pharisees who he i'm sure he could overhear you know when someone says something just loud enough that you can hear it they're not speaking to you but they're speaking about you but they want you to hear what they're saying that's that's what's happening here the the teachers of the law and the pharisees are muttering loud enough that jesus i'm sure could if not hear their words he could read their body language the crazy thing is this is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law didn't recognize their own lost state. That Jesus had come to save them as much as he had come to save the sinners and the tax collectors. That the Pharisees and the teachers of the law themselves were sinners. That compared to Jesus, they were not righteous. That, they, that, they, that their, their righteousness was like filthy rags, as the Bible says. 
but they couldn't even see the lost state of their own lives because of their own assumptions. And so as we read these, these verses here in Luke 15, there's really two lenses that we can look through this, these parables at. We can look through the lens of a sinner who needs the grace of Jesus, or we can look through the lens of a Pharisee who feels like they know better. My desire, my hope, my, my heart for us as a church, as the, the, the body of Christ, as, as God's sons and daughters, is that we would do the former, that we would say, God, how can we come in humility, recognizing our own need and receive for you what you, we ha- what you have for us today? See, we all continue to be in need of God's saving grace every single day because I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. And God knows it, but he wants to embrace us and he wants to lavish his love and his mercy upon us. But there has to be an openness in our hearts to receive from him. So I want to talk first about the lost sheep. The lost sheep, verse 3 through 7, we're going to read about the the lost sheep of Israel. Understand in that context, and I've talked about sheep quite a few times in the midst of the series. In fact, I referenced sheep and shepherds last week. And uh, and the, the idea is this, is we don't understand what it means to be a shepherd. And it's probably not really any of us who tend flocks or have, have had a chance to work with sheep. But in that culture, in that context, sheep represented livelihood. Sheep would have been everywhere. Everywhere you went through Israel, there would have been flocks of sheep because they, they were valuable. And the, the owner of the sheep, the master, of, uh, the master shepherd, the owner of all of those flocks would have been a wealthy person. If you had enough money to buy flocks of sheep you you would have been at the peak of your game at the pinnacle of your game the sheep here represent uh, the livelihood but more than that they were a picture of even the economy that there were if there was enough money for large herds of and flocks of sheep that meant that the economy was doing well and so jesus starts kind of with this large large picture but draws on an analogy that is really used throughout Scripture. So let's get to the word. It says this in verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, which is a lot, and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors, and, and together he says... Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It doesn't seem like it, but there's really a lot going on in this short parable. And Jesus addresses some very deep-seated things within the culture, especially within the religious culture. See, as I mentioned, the shepherd analogy or metaphor is really used throughout the Old and the New Testament. And it's one that would have been extremely familiar to the people of that day. And they would have understood this, that there were shepherds and there were under shepherds. There were the master shepherds, the ones who owned the flocks. And then the under shepherds who were hired to tend to the master's flocks. And what Jesus is really talking about here, what he's really referring to is the under shepherd's role. So if you have 100 sheep, that's a, that's a large, large flock of sheep. And if one of those sheep, if you're an under-shepherd looking after someone else's sheep and one of those sheep goes astray, when the master comes and counts the sheep and says there's 99, 
where's the hundredth one? I know I own a hundred sheep. That that under shepherd, it would not be enough for him to just say, oh, you, you have plenty of sheep. Ninety-nine is enough. If we lose one, it's okay. No, the under shepherd would have recognized that he was responsible for the master's sheep and that the sheep were valuable. Every single sheep was valuable. It's not just that they were cute. It's not just that they were fluffy and adorable. They're not. They were valuable. They were valuable for their, their wool. They were valuable for their milk. And they were valuable for their meat. And so the shepherd, the under shepherd, was responsible to the master and accountable to the master for caring for that flock. And so the, the party that would have happened when he found that sheep would have really been a one of relief to say, I found, I found the lost sheep. I found the master's sheep. What we don't recognize here is that Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law head on. That he is calling them out. How do I know that? In Ezekiel 34, God through the prophet Ezekiel there's a, spends a whole chapter of what we have in our current Bibles addressing the improprieties and the mistakes that the shepherds make. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have been familiar with this prophecy, with this chastisement against the shepherds of Israel by the prophet Ezekiel. Really, the, the other people in the audience might not have been as familiar, but there's no doubt that they, the, the Pharisees and teachers, would have known what Jesus was talking about. So think about, as Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven, in, in, in his kingdom, that there is rejoicing when one person, one sinner, repents. There is more rejoicing over that one than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Listen to these words from Ezekiel. Uh, I'm just going to read a few of the verses. In verse 2 of uh, Ezekiel 34, it says this, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Woe to you. You've messed up. You're not doing your job. You're not taking care of the master sheep that you have been charged with caring for the flocks of Israel. You've been, take, you've been, care, you've been charged with taking care of God's sheep. And you've slacked off on the job and you're just taking care of yourself. He goes on to say in verse 6, My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. No one. Again, Jesus here through the prophet Ezekiel is addressing the fact that he is sitting with the sinners. He is sitting with the tax collectors. He is sitting with the people who are lost. And in the midst of it, the very ones that God has called to shepherd them and care for them are muttering and can't believe that he would even associate with these people. And so they would have been very aware of the fact that he was addressing them, that he was calling them out, that he was addressing the religious structures of that day to say, you're not doing your job. You're not joining God in his mission in the world. He goes on in verse 11 and 12 to say this, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. This is the heart of God. This is the mission of God clearly seen in this picture of the shepherd. 
I will go and find my sheep. We, we see this reflected in the 23rd Psalm where it says that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He, right, he got, he, in, in green pastures and he quiets my soul. He makes me lie down and he cares for every aspect of who I am. This is the heart of God. That he is our shepherd. He is our great shepherd. But he entrusts that care as well to the, the under shepherds. That's you and me. That's all of us. That we get to care for people that God has put under our care. See, this was a direct challenge to them. And they would have understood it as such. But he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. And he says, he starts talking about a lost coin. Now, we get money. We might not get sheep, but we get money. We understand money and possessions. That's what Jesus here in the, in the parable of the lost coin is talking about. Um, for this lady that we're going to read about in a minute, it's not just about a few coins in a piggy bank. It's not, you know, some quarters that have been stashed away just in case she needed to put money in the parking meter uh, or, or saving up some coins to buy something, you know, buy a treat. These coins would have represented her life savings. It would have represented her retirement. It would have represented a, a lifetime of investment. For us today, it might look like our 401ks. It might look like uh, you know, our, our, our stocks and our bonds or the equity we have in our home. And we understand that if we, if we lose those things, that we're going to do everything we can to reclaim them. Even as we watch the market volatility in our, in, over this last year and it's up and it's down and we're wondering how much money am I going to have for retirement and, and we want to make sure we're making sound investment decisions. Jesus is saying here that, 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 that there's a, a parallel to the kingdom of God. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read the passage and then we'll come back to some thoughts. It says this, or suppose a woman, Jesus again speaking to the crowd, he says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see the theme here repeated. There is rejoicing in heaven when one person, when one sinner repents. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. The angels throw a party every time one person repents for their sin. A number of years ago, Megan uh, let me know that she, had, she couldn't find her wedding ring. Uh, and we, we searched our house. We turned everything upside down, kind of like the women in this, par this parable we looked everywhere. We retraced steps. We kind of went throughout her day. And, uh, you know, back then the, the kids were all little. And so, you know, Megan's days were full caring for, for these little ones. And they were running around. And, and, and we just couldn't find this ring. And after searching for hours, we, we, just, we just thought it was gone forever. It was lost. And so days and weeks and months went by. And we, you know, we, we felt the ache, the heartache of losing something so valuable but just thought that it had been lost forever. Until one day I get a phone call from Megan and I was at the office and, and she was just exuberant. She's, she's shouting on the phone, I found it, I found it, I found it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Enough time had gone by that I didn't even think about the ring. And I'm trying to figure out what it is that's going on. 
what had happened is that Megan had a pair of coveralls that had a little pocket right on the chest and she had been working with the kids and doing things around the house and so she took her ring off and dropped it in that little pocket and at the end of the summer uh, she took the, those overalls and she folded them up and put them away in storage for the winter. Well, the next spring, as the the temperature, the, the weather warmed up and we got ready for the summer, and she went into storage and pulled that box out. She pulled out that pair of coveralls, and that ring came falling out of that pocket, and that ring that was lost was found. And man, we were ecstatic. We were so excited maybe there's something in your life maybe there's a story you can relate to where you can go i remember there was something that was lost there's something that i couldn't find after just a long period of time and then you found it and that that sense of excitement that we would have had and maybe calling people and going i couldn't i can't believe it that thing that you remember that thing that i lost i found it jesus says this in the same way in the same way when one person, one sinner who's lost, one person repents, that there is rejoicing, that there is a party in heaven, that there is a celebration over that one life. What's Jesus saying? He's saying this, people are more important than possessions. People are more important than stuff. And then we have to keep our eyes focused on this. Yeah, we understand the value of precious things, but in God's kingdom, people are infinitely more valuable and precious. Jesus ends the parables, these three parables. He goes from the sheep, the lost sheep, to a lost coin, to a lost son. And note this, a son is not an object. A son is not a possession. A son is not an investment. A son is flesh and blood. A son would have been a part of the father. He would have come from the father. He would have been dear to the father. It's interesting, though, is out of the three, for the crowd that would have been gathered, out of the three, this is the one that the audience would have had the hardest time with. It's the one that they would have struggled the most with culturally. See, in this parable, in the parable of the lost son, Jesus challenges the culture of the day. It was an honor culture where honor was built up the way that a, bank, a savings account would build up money. Honor was built up around a family name after generations and generations, and, and one family member could bring dishonor to the family. And it would have been within their rights, within that culture, for that son, for that person that would bring dishonor, that if their lives were taken from them, that it would restore honor. And so it would have been a far, a far fetch to, to imagine that that son really put his life at risk by dishonoring the father. But Jesus also, and I, I want to frame this before I read the passage, he also challenges their hearts. He challenges their compassion, the level of compassion they would have for someone who was broken. So it says this starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a famine 
in that whole country. And he began to be in need. That's really important. He began to be in need. He couldn't take care of himself anymore. And so he went and hired himself, to a, hired himself out to a citizen of that country, a foreign country, and he sent him to his field to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I want to pause there for a second. This is a picture of how far he had gone. That Jesus was speaking to a Jew- Jewish audience, and and pigs would have represent the height of uncleanliness. That pigs that, that in the Jewish culture and because of the Jewish law, that they would not have touched pigs, let alone at, fed them and and wanted to eat the very food that they were eating. And and of course, it says that that he was in a foreign country, so he had gone a long distance. He was a long way away from home, and he had dropped to rock bottom. He had hit the bottom. And it's in this place, in this, in this distant place, in this place of need, it says this in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I'm going to pause there again. For the audience listening to this, there would have been, again, an assumption of how this story should have played out. And it's not the way that Jesus takes the story. It's not the way that he shares the parable. They would have been thinking, man, that kid is he's going to get it. He's going to get it. He gets what he deserves. He he deserves to be in the place that he's at. He deserves everything because, you know, what? he dishonored his father. And what goes around comes around. Now, they would have said that, but we say that in our culture, right? What goes around comes around. You get what you deserve. That what, that's what their posture would have been. And then Jesus does something radical. He says this when he came to him, uh, rather, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make, uh, make me like one of your hired servants. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is, and now is found. And so they began to celebrate. There's a turning point in this story when Jesus takes it in a completely different direction to what they have, would have expected. And imagine for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they would have been perplexed. What are you talking about? That's not what the law requires. That's not how we handle someone who has rebelled against their father. But can you imagine being one of the sinners in the crowd, one of the tax collectors? When Jesus starts telling this story about the son who comes back and the father embraces him, can you imagine how they would have felt about the heart of God? This would probably be the first time in their lives where they would be in a glimmer of hope that someone would love them so radically. Jesus here shares the story of a young man who, who says, Father, give me my inheritance. And we understand this. You get an inheritance after someone dies. 
Now, of course, in that culture, there would have been things that allowed for him to ask for that inheritance. But, but generally, you didn't wait. I mean, you, you waited, rather, until that, that, that father had passed on, and then you received that inheritance. Or at least if he was really close. But it sounds like this father, because later on we read that he ran. So he must have been still of, of an age where he was, uh, had his wits about him that he was strong. Essentially, what the, what the son says to the father is, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Just give me what I deserve. Give me what I have coming to him, to me, and I'm just going to go do my own thing, which he does. He takes his money. He gathers everything up. Uh, his brother gets his share. He gets his own share, and then he goes, and he squanders it, and he lives a lavish life. He goes to a foreign country, and he ends up hitting rock bottom. The money runs out, and he ends up, wanting to even eat what the pigs are eating. Such a vivid picture that Jesus paints of the lostness of this young man. He goes to great extremes, to great length to say, this guy, he wasn't just a bit lost. He was completely lost. He was completely gone. And then this young man sets his sights on home. And he starts thinking about how unworthy he is. He knows that he's not worthy. He knows that in his father's house, the servants are treated better than what he has. And he starts reasoning. Now, remember, he's risking even his own life to go home. There's a tension here for us. So we understand that we are God's children. And, and there's a comfort in that. And there's, there's even the scripture says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And, and, I, and I praise God for that. I'm so thankful that we get to, to come boldly before the father. That we have a confidence about being his children. But I wonder sometimes if we lose sight of our own brokenness. If we lose sight of the places in our lives where we've gone astray. Even, even when we've come to Jesus, we put our faith in him. That we would say, yes, I am saved. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I love God. And yes, I want to walk with him. But there's places in our lives. There's things in our heart. There's ways, attitudes that we have or, or, or behaviors that we encourage or that we uh, engage in and God says that's not what I have for you and we allow parts of our heart to wander and go and and get get to a place of being lost I wonder sometimes if we miss the place of brokenness and humility before God that place of dependence that says God I need you father I need your grace I need your mercy we need both we need the confidence that says Father, you're, you are my father. But we also need that brokenness and that contrite heart. The Bible says that a contrite heart God will not despise. A, a heart that is soft before him, a heart that is repentant. He says, I will receive. And it's interesting here that the father is looking for the son, but he doesn't go to the foreign country. He waits for the son to turn to him. He, and as the son repents, we see this incredible picture of the heart of the father. It says that the father sees him when he's still a long way off, meaning that he spent his days looking at the horizon, waiting for his son to return. Again, this would have flown in the culture, would have confronted the culture of the day where you would write someone off. You would write them off that he, he did what he did and he deserves what he's going to get. But the heart of the father is this. I'm looking to the horizon to see when my son would return. And when he sees him, it says that he saw him a long way off and his father ran to him. He was filled with compassion. It says he was filled with compassion. 
for his son. And he goes and he wraps his arms around him. And he calls to his servants and he says, bring the best robe, bring a ring, bring sandals for his feet. And he restores the son to his former position, to his former estate, to his former identity. See, all of these things that the son had lost, he had lost relationship with the father. He had lost his place within that household. He had lost his position. He had lost his, the respect in the father in one moment. Restores all of these things to the Son. Church, this is the heart of God's mission. As Jesus paints this picture, this is the heart of God's mission in the world. When we talk about the mission of God, this is it. This is at the crux of it. It's what it's all about. That God is searching for his lost sons and daughters. That his eyes are looking to the horizon for that one person that would say yes to him. That would repent and turn their lives to him and the amazing thing is he invites us to be a part of that mission he invites us to join him in that search to look to every day to have our eyes open to say god who are you calling us to reach who is the lost the lost person the lost sheep the lost coin the lost son the lost daughter that you would call us to engage to invite back into relationship maybe today what you need to hear is this that your father loves you. Maybe you, you've said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've walked with him. You've, you've had a relationship with Jesus for maybe, maybe for years, maybe for decades. But maybe today your, your heart would be this. Maybe you're saying, Pastor Barry, I feel lost. I feel like that son. I feel like I am far away from where the heart of God is. I feel like I have rejected God or I've pushed God or I've made mistakes that have caused me to be in a broken place. I want to tell you today that God is searching for you, that he sees you and that he loves you. His arms are open wide to embrace you. And that as you would turn to him, as you would repent, as you would bring those things before him, that his arms, just in the same way that Jesus paints that picture, would wrap around you and he would say, I want to restore you. I want to bring you to that rightful place. I want to restore your identity I want to restore your name. I want to restore your position. I want to restore your heart. I want to put food in your belly. I want to take care of your needs. I want to bring healing to you. Your father loves you. He loves you as a son. He loves you as a daughter. And we get to partner with him in that mission. We get to partner with him in the work that he's doing in the world. And that we would have the same heart as God. That we would repent when one person turns their life to Jesus. Church, we need to reawaken that flame. We need to remember what it means to reach people who are lost. In a world that is so divided, in a world that is so hurting, in a world that is so broken, I guarantee you, you are surrounded with people who are searching for the Lord. And you get to be the light. You get to be the life. You get to be the salt of the earth people drawn to you the way they were drawn to Jesus or the people who are far from God drawn to you may our hearts be that may we be the people that say Lord we want to we want to reach the lost let's pray that prayer Jesus cause us to have your heart God I thank you that we are recipients of your grace of your mercy of your love of your warm embrace Lord that your eyes were searching for us and have been searching for us, and that we would continue to return to you over and over. And Lord, in those places where our hearts have wandered, 
Lord, in those places where our assumptions have taken over and we've lost sight of you, would we return to you? Cause us, Lord, to be your sons and daughters, to walk in humility with you, and then to partner with you in your mission in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to invite you, if you're listening to this message today and you've never said yes to Jesus, and maybe you're saying right now, Pastor Barry, I identify with that lost son. I feel like that describes me to a T. Maybe even as you were listening, something was stirring in your heart that would say, I, I need what that son had. I, I'm in that same place. And I want to tell you today that in the same way that that son turned and went back to the father, that your heavenly father is waiting to embrace you. Maybe you feel like you've hit rock bottom. I want to tell you there's hope in Jesus. And, and all you have to do is say yes to him. I want to lead you in a prayer. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart that you would believe it with every part of who you are. Let's pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I turn to you. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I repent of all the wrongdoing in my life, in the places where I have gone astray, when I, where I have gotten lost. I turn to you and I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Heavenly Father, receive me into your arms. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's it. That's it. The Father has been looking for you. And it says in the Bible where we just read right now in Luke 15 that there is a celebration that the angels of heaven are rejoicing and we want to rejoice with you. If that was you today, would you let us know that you made that decision? Uh, you can do that a couple of different ways. You can click on the link right now in the chat section and just send us a quick note that says, I said yes. Or would you send us an email at mail at thriveglendora.org and, and just let us know that you said yes to Jesus. We'd love the opportunity to follow up with you as you continue your journey with him. Thrive Church, I love you. Uh, I miss you. I pray you're having a, an amazing weekend. Enjoy the rest of your day and have an amazing week. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to invite someone to join you for service. Take care.